Welcome everyone to episode 78 of A Play on Nerds. Uh, we are back on our regular schedule. So happy about that. Uh, we're, this week we're going to be reviewing Star Trek IV, uh, The Voyage Home, in our ongoing series of recording, uh, reviewing all the Muppet movies and all the Star Trek movies in order. That's right. Uh, so, so excited about that. The sad thing is, is that we recorded all of this already. A whole episode. <laughs> So we did the interview earlier that you're going to hear later on this episode, but then we recorded the rest of the episode and we lost it. Uh, Something crazy happened. It is just technical weirdness. Gremlins, if you will. Uh, But later in the episode, we're going to be having uh, Chris Mitchell, Paul Wright and Matt Hansen, who are all from the 10 forward podcast and other podcasts that are experts in Star Trek. So just like we had the Tough Pigs guys on to talk about Muppets with me and Steve, now we That's have. That's right, so, and they blew us away. Yeah. These guys are going to blow us away with Star Trek. They love Star Trek, very passionate about it, so it's going to be a fun conversation. Uh, stay tuned for that later on. But we'll have a little bit more of a truncated uh, episode here besides the interview because we've already done this once, and so we're going to do it again. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so we're going to skip a few things, but one thing we will not skip is nerdy news. It's time for Nerdy news. So what do you got for us? So this week, uh, because whales play a giant part in Star Trek for the voyage home, I've got a news story about whales. So they have found in South Carolina this ancient whale skeleton uh, that's like 35 million years old that is somewhere between a toothed whale and a baleen whale, which are the ones that use these giant plates to strain out plankton. Krill. Strain out krill. Right. Krill. There we go. And plankton, I think. Um and in this old one, they found that the front teeth, the front uh, canines are there to bite and rip, but the molars in the back had spread out and had these protrusions that kind of looked like big serrations on a knife almost that were used for early versions of straining food. And that is the stepping stone between those two. That's a very cool whale-related story. That's right, to lead us in. Yeah. But, uh, and, and you've got a Han Solo story. Right. And just to screw with things, because it's a Star Trek episode, I'm going to do a Star Wars nerdy That's news story. Right. Just make uh, people mad. Yeah. So it's been a big wave in the Star Wars uh, news area to this, this week is that uh, Chris Miller and Phil Lord, who previously directed Cloudy the Chance Meatballs, 21 and 22 Jump Street, and the Lego movie, we're directing the Han Solo movie spinoff, um, and they filmed about 90% of it. Crazy. 90%. And they were fired by Lucasfilm, <laughs> uh, according because of creative differences. And Ron Howard will be taking over after this at this late point in the game to do reshoots and fix the movie somehow. And when it comes down to it, uh, Kennedy, I forgot her, Kathleen Kennedy, who's the head of Lucasfilm, uh, believed Lord and Miller were hired to add a comedic touch. And apparently Lord and Miller believed they were hired to make a comedy. Yeah. So different approaches. Yeah. I can imagine 22 Jump Street in Star Wars land. It's not not a great thought. Absolutely. And we were saying earlier, which is very true, is that, you know, it'd be fine if there was a comedy in the Star Wars world. But it's weird to put Han Solo as the focus of a comedy. It's a little too much off base. I don't know. But uh, 
and I think that I think you posted this story on our timeline and and I said, well, I just hope that Randy. I think I did. Maybe. Yeah, you did. I hope yeah. that Randy Newman does the music because Ron <laughs> Howard's doing it. Right. You're yeah, my Wookiee friend, my friend. Flying in the Millennium Falcon. That's so bad. <laughs> but apparently Lord Miller also wanted to improvise a lot, whereas Lawrence Kasdan is a writer who also wrote Empire Strikes Back. He wanted them to stick to the script. Of course. Um, and also, this is like their first really big tentpole, tentpole feature. And usually on those features, apparently you have like 12 to 15 different setups for like each shot. So you have a lot of options when you're editing. And apparently, according to I think it was Hollywood Reporter, they said that they found out they only had like three shots or three setups for each shot. So they have right. not much to work with, which you don't need that much for like a comedy. But for a big thing like this, with all the special not effects. Not the professional standard. Right. And the weirdest one was the Hollywood Reporter said that apparently the lead Alden Ehrenreich playing Han Solo had to get an acting coach last minute because they didn't like his performance as Han Solo. And Star Wars Newsnet was saying that they heard from a source that he was uh, acting oddly like Jim Carrey and Ace Ventura for his character, which would be very disturbing to see Han Solo as Ace Ventura. <laughs> so that's kind of that whole story. A lot of drama going on. We just hope the movie actually comes out well, but it's kind of a train wreck right now. Well, good. I hope it turns out well, too. We'll see. If Ron Howard can't fix it, who can and not like the island of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> and not like the island of Dr. Moreau, which we also talked more extensively about in the real episode. Yeah, go back in time, folks, and listen to us live talking about that. It'd be great. Not this husk of an episode that you guys are here. <laughs> I'm so now. sorry. Uh, we're, we're out on time, damn it, so you can't complain. That's right. Uh, so before we jump into our main segment, I've got some fun facts about whales. Beautiful. Because whales play such a key role. Uh, so sperm whales sleep vertically. They basically they sleep standing up. Which would be really creepy to look at in the water. Uh, in the wild, whales can live a long time. A bowhead whale was found with a spear in it, and the spear was dated, and it was dated to be 200 years old. It's mm, crazy. Uh, a, a newborn blue whale can weigh as much as 100 men and be seven and a half meters long. And uh, the baby drinks a bathtub worth of milk <laughs> a day. Yeah. And at eight months old, it is 22 and a half tons, <laughs> which is just crazy. And then the biggest balls in the animal kingdom uh, belong to the southern right whale, where each ball weighs a thousand pounds. So they're a ton <laughs> for the pair. The size like a Volkswagen Beetle for each ball. Yeah, that's just nuts. <laughs> uh, yeah. Largest balls in the animal kingdom. Hey, you got lots of balls. Hey, yes. you got, got, hey, look at that guy. Look at that guy. He's got some balls. No, he really has lots of balls. <laughs> Seriously, though, you should get that checked out. <laughs> See, that wasn't in the first recording. <laughs> no, that wasn't. This is original for the second recording. Who says it can't be better? Woo. <laughs> um, so now on to our interview. Yes, our interview with uh, Matt Hansen, Paul Wright, and Chris Mitchell, all about the Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. A great flick. And check it out.
right, so we're now on to our main segment. We're going to review Star Trek IV The Voyage Home in our ongoing series of reviewing every movie from the Muppet series and every movie from the Star Trek series just to annoy each other. That's right. And we, <laughs> we have special reason. guests joining us to help us do this. Uh, people from a smorgasbord of podcasts and lots of Star Trek stuff. Uh, we have Paul Wright, Matt Hansen, and Chris Mitchell. And we'll go in order of my Skype screen right now to introduce them, <laughs> which will be, <laughs> first off, Mr. Paul Wright or Furbob. Furbob, can you tell us about uh, your Star Trek podcasting experience and your Trek experience in general? Uh, my Trek experience in general uh, is, uh, as probably the same as most people, is uh, my father introduced me to Star Trek one day, and uh, that was way back in the 70s, and I absolutely loved it, and have grown with it ever since um to the point where i was listening one day to a certain podcast which uh, shall be nameless until obviously somebody else comes on and talks about it um and i was listening to it and i thought hey i like the sound of that uh, sent in a few emails and suddenly um uh, as tends to be the case with uh, with this podcast you become a host if you if you send any <laughs> sort of right. email in <laughs> so um yeah so next thing i knew i was a host of uh, the uh, of the 10 forward podcast so uh, that uh, that was good that was one of the first podcasts good. I ever listened to. Was the Ten Forward podcast? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm ago. only a I'm only a baby compared to the to, to the next two people who obviously one who started very well almost as soon as it came on. I think it was one of the first people who came on, and another who joined not so long after. Well, that's a great segue to our next guest, which is Matt Hansen. Tell us about yourself. So my track experience started when I was five, when my dad took me to go see uh, Star Trek Generations in the theaters. So that gives you an idea of how old I am. All right. Love that movie. Um, and uh, as far as podcasting goes, uh, I've been doing it for about six years at this point. I co-hosted a Star Trek Voyager review podcast called The Delta Quadrant from... I think it was from 2011 through we finished in 2015 and then nice. you know you know i fully uh expected to retire from doing regular podcasting at that point but, but then it I just got, reeled you back in it did reel me back in because um a former co-host of mine from the delta quadrant started a new podcast that i'm still on to this day called upper pylon 2 and we're doing ds9 now wow so um that's been fun i i, I think we'll be finished Oh, some either either next year or year after that. We're in season five, so um, getting close to the end. So and, like a podcast episode per episode of Star Trek, basically. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. Um, and uh, and I've been a co-host, a recurring co-host on Ten Forward podcast. And I just want to clarify something that that Paul said. You you, you don't become a co-host of Ten Forward. You just come on as a guest, and then you never leave basically <laughs> pretty much and we have always called matt hansen the memory alpha of uh, the podcast because he basically has like a photographic memory of all things star trek and wow episode right. names and actors and all stuff it's, it's just pretty crazy that being said i did i did rewatch the movie for this just so that i could oh, have it fresh good. in my memory yeah me too for sure even though we've all seen this one a lot of times i'm sure yes and our last guest mr chris mitchell tell us about your fine self I am Mr. Chris Mitchell. Um, my <laughs> uh, chuckles already. Uh, I, I, I'm the wild card of the Ten Forward podcast in that I say stuff and do stuff that I probably shouldn't most of the time. Hey, I'm that guy for our podcast. Well, there's always Yay. one, so it's, it's me. Ver you. It's me versus you. Is it? There we go. You're in good. You're in good company. 
Excellent stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I, I got into Star Trek the same way everyone else does. I watched it a few times, and then I got hooked. And then I went off it for a few years. And then I started watching Deep Space Nine uh, again, and I was like, this is awesome. And then just everything. Over and over again. Um, I had the same path to podcast, just podcast sort of areas as everyone else. I, I sent something into Ten Forward, and then I was a host the week after. <laughs> and then I, I, I was, I probably did as many episodes as anyone other than Cena on that podcast. Who is the the head honcho? Um, I think at this, yeah, I think at this point you're the longest running uh, co-host of that show. Yeah, that's true. I think so. And we're all very sad that Cena can't join us, but she's they're on kind of a hiatus right now. She's uh, life has taken its, you know, taken a turn. Not for the worst or anything. Just no, no. she's uh, she's busy. But the moral of all these stories are is that you don't contact the Ten Forward podcast unless you intend to become an employee. That's true. <laughs> That's true. All right, fair. pretty much. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of responsibility mm-hmm. in hit and send. So so think carefully about it before you do so. That's true. Yeah, and I guess I think I told the story before, but uh, I was had a bad breakup back right after college, and so I just started watching an episode of the original series, like the, the Cage, the first actual pilot episode. And just started, kept watching all the way through in my little, like, little bedroom and didn't leave my cave until I finished the entire original series. And then I just started watching everything. So I've seen every episode and I'm obsessed with it now. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's been ever since. When's, I, what's your experience, Steve, with your Star Trek? I watch it mildly, sometimes in <laughs> syndication growing up. I like a few of the movies. This is one of them. And the Borg are some of my favorite villains in history. So I'm pretty familiar with them. Oh, there you go. But otherwise, pretty loose affiliation with Star Trek. And he's obsessed with Muppets. And he, we had the people from the Tough Pigs podcast on not long ago. And they're like the super, super experts on Muppets. So this is kind of retaliation for that. That's I was right. Kind of, I was lost for half that episode. We're going to swing the Muppets other direction stuff. now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that is, a, that is a hell of a combination. But I mean, there is something thematic in the sense that uh, uh, Paul's favorite doctor, Gates McFadden, worked both with Jim Henson and with Star Trek. So there's your... There's your six degrees of separation. That's right. I have her signature on my uh, Dark Crystal poster because that was the first production that she did with them. (laughs) He loves that. (laughs) And she was really surprised to sign it at New York Comic Con. (laughs) Beautiful Gates McFadden with the wooden face. Right, Paul? That's right. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He called her acting wooden and then it went on to being her face is just wooden or something. (laughs) Yeah, she's, she's the best voice actor on TV. (laughs) <laughs> and then uh, in Dork Trek podcast, they talk about how she's she's so hot, but she has a, a pancake ass. But we won't go there. That's a whole other story. <laughs> she's um, not even in this movie. <laughs> That's true. right. Let's leave her out movie. of this. <laughs> so on to Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. Uh, what are some of your initial impressions, I guess? On a, a more general note, then we can get more in specifics. I mean, overall, this is one of my favorite, probably my favorite of the old ones. Yeah, I guess it's really film. accessible, right? Because everyone seems to think of this one as their, or more, more people have seen this than any of the others, I think. Yeah. I would, yeah, I would probably say that's true until maybe 2009. That was the next time that the Star Trek movie became right. that accessible to everybody. Because the next generation movies, you know, kind of hit or miss. People didn't really see a lot of those. Uh, Paul, what do you think of the, the movie in general? How does it fall in your ranking of uh, the Star Trek movies? It's it's one of my favourites. It, it's it, just like Steve said. I, it's my favourite of the original uh, cast. Um, I think uh, this is more. There's a, there's a lot more humour in it, which is which is why I like um, this uh, this particular one. I always like a lot of humour in Star Trek, anyway. Um, 
but this um, is a is a is a great mix of continuation of uh, the story from the previous two episodes, uh, two films really, um, and also um, a, a nice little comedy in the middle, and then back again to the uh, to the proper universe of. of what Star Trek should be about and all that. So yeah, nice little deviation from uh, from from uh, this. I think it's the not the first time we've seen them go back in in, in time, but uh, certainly bring uh, bringing it in, into the nineteen eighty four, which is when it obviously was was filmed, yeah. um, was a nice little way of of um, bringing it up to date, if you like, bringing the the time travel story up to date. Oh, the eighties. I think I saw somewhere in the trivia too that Leonard Nimoy thought the first two were so dark, or first three rather. That they wanted something just more light and fun, which definitely was. Yeah, I think that's reflected like the dialogue and everything's making it more funny and accessible, better character stuff. And I have a respect for any movie that doesn't have a direct villain and does it well. Right, that's difficult because I think V'ger was kind of a, still a villain in the first movie. Yeah, kind of, but not really. And it, it, even yeah. if you don't want to call him one, that that's one where they don't have a villain and it's not done very well. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Just a lot of long, drawn-out shots of miniatures. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, what about you? I I like this movie, but I, I like it in a, in a different way to other Star Trek movies and sci-fi movies. I don't I don't love it the same way that I like you know Star Trek Two or O Nine or First Contact or. Uh, 2001 or Alien or whatever. I like it the same. I love it the same way I love the Money Pit. You know, it's one of those movies that I yeah. can just, I can just, I just, just watch it. And it, that's it right around the same era too. It is. It, it reminds me more of that than Star Trek three or Star Trek five. Um, <sighs> you know, it reminds me more of that. It's a different, it's a different experience for sure. And I think that that plays into the fact that more people went and watched it because you, you're not getting your standard Star Trek experience. You're still getting the characters exactly the way that they should be, and you're still, you know, there's still a science fiction wobbly thing happening, ball in a <laughs> stick, coming to kill people and all that sort of stuff. But it's different. It feels different. It feels lighter. It feels more comedic. It feels like an 80s action comedy movie. And I, I like it. Which I makes sense, because uh, Nimoy directed Three Men and a Baby around that same time, so I guess that makes sense, that same kind of feel of just goofy 80s comedy. Yeah, but it gets away with it. It's weird, you know. I mean, the, I don't know if anyone's tried to watch The Money Pit in the last five years. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't work anymore. You know, it, comedy's <laughs> moved on, but this hasn't. You know, I, mean, I'll say, I was saving that for the next time I do my Tom Hanks and Shelley Long rewatch. Everybody <laughs> needs to do that. To be honest with you, I mean, in the days of Netflix and Amazon Prime Video and you know all that sort of stuff, there's no reason why you haven't started already. You know, to be honest with <laughs> Is you, Shelley, Shelley Long the same one who's in The Shining. No, no, that's Shelley Duvall. Shelley Long oh, is Shelley Long is Cheers. Diane from Cheers. Uh, oh, okay, gotcha. And or Miss Brady from the movies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or she was, or, or she's Tom Hanks's wife from the Money Pit. Right. Right. <laughs> 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 so uh, oh, I forgot one thing we you did the other movies is we kind of did a short recap of the plot of the movie in case you have not seen. Star I mean, no Trek one asked before. me what I thought of this movie. Oh well, Mac, please go ahead. I thought you gave something before. But go ahead. No, that's just because I keep interrupting everybody else. That's okay. <laughs> oh, I was mistaken. So I, I, I think I'm kind of in the same boat with Chris in that I really enjoy this movie. I have a lot of fun watching it. Never skip it on a rewatch. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites, though. I really enjoy it. But like I like the thrilling stuff. So if we're talking just the original six movies, I would say six is my favorite. 
And actually, of this uh, classic uh, original series movie trilogy, I'm one of the weird ones where three is my favorite of those of those three movies. Oh yeah, it's underrated for sure. Three. We talked about the last time you were when we yeah. reviewed three. Is that it was it was a pretty good movie. It was. It's not as bad as people just like kind of write off or just don't even talk about it. Yeah, I just like this. I like I like the very very personal stakes in that movie. That's why I like it the best. But this is a really fun movie. I had a good time rewatching it for this show. Oh, good. And Vulcan oh, Sex. Yeah. Don't forget that. And yeah, Vulcan movie. sex. Lots of fingers. Pung far. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So the, movie, the plot of the movie, in case you haven't seen it and I, you're somehow well, well, still listening to this before podcast. You, before you go, oh, go I, I've got a succinct plot of the movie for you in, in oh, one great. sentence. Humans are bad. Okay. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That is the moral. That's the moral. That's it. That's all you need to worry about. Humans are bad. Last movie, Klingons were bad. <laughs> movie before that you know uh, humans, humans were, were bad yeah, yeah. It, it, enhanced that. humans were bad in the first one. Oh, yeah. in the yeah, second one right. in the second one in, oh, the fir- yeah. in the first one things that humans make are bad yeah. and then emotional Vulcans are bad emotional Vulcans are bad yeah and then in the next one God is bad <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> I, I think that makes a lot of sense I, I think that we've now with the, the audience now no longer has to watch any of them um, That's right. <laughs> no, I, I would say to the audience, watch two, three, and four. Uh, Steve, I don't envy you next whenever you do this next for five because that is something, all right. It's, it's okay. Muppets is about to get rough too, so don't worry about it. What's the next Muppets one we got? Uh, Christmas Carol, and then after that is Treasure Island, and then it's just all downhill. Christmas Carol yeah. is awesome. Yeah, Treasure Island is great. Yeah, yeah. And everything else is downhill. No, but then you oh. get you you, but you eventually end up at the 2011 reboot. That's true. And that's up a little bit of an uphill swing, and then nobody saw Most Wanted. So I did. Yeah, I, didn't say, I, I, I haven't seen right. Most Wanted yet. So you're one of the two people. I saw Most Wanted. I had a, a three seven year old at the time. Went and saw it. Wasn't the worst thing I ever saw. Yeah, I am Kermit the Frog. <laughs> did your seven year old like it? Yeah, she didn't like evil Kermit the Frog though. She didn't like didn't like that at all because Kermit shouldn't be evil. That's I'm true. Like, it's not, that is a rule. It's not actually Kermit. Yeah, but you know, it's it's Kermit. He looks like Kermit. So the real plot of the film, yeah. So the plot of the film, (laughs) uh, Kirk and crew are coming back from their missions of uh, two and three. They're still in the same costumes, the same Klingon bird of prey that they were in from the third movie, Search for Spock. They found Spock. He's still remembering who he was, who he is. uh, But they can't quite go back to Earth because they'll be in trouble for breaking lots of you know regulations. Uh, but they're finally agreed to all go back and face the consequences. But when they, before they can get back, this giant um, cigar coal probe thing is coming towards Earth, sh- uh, shooting out this weird noise, which I'll insert here and throughout the entire podcast. Um, there you go. And that basically they find out it's a whale song. And until it gets the signal back from whales, uh, the humpback whales, it's going to keep just destroying Earth inadvertently with its signal. And uh, we never find out who the hell these people are. Maybe in the expanded universe we do. I don't know. Uh, but then they, so they, the only way they can get humpback whales is to go back in time. So they go back to 1984 or 86? 86, 86, I think. 86. Same, okay. same year as the movie. Right. And then they uh, go back to 86 and shenanigans occur. They get some whales. Uh they, they have to steal some what, plutonium or uranium. Some nuclear whistles. Nuclear whistles. <laughs> and then they head back to their time, get the whales, they save the Earth, and they're basically, uh, you know, cleared of all 
charges and Kirk is demoted to a captain for being admiral, which is what he really wanted anyway. And that's the and it just story. further proves that there are no actual consequences in Starfleet. <laughs> it just Unless, really, really backs up. There are really no consequences. Hey, if you're a bad admiral, which there are a lot of bad, evil admirals out there, they all get their comeuppance eventually. But that's true. <laughs> like every gonna, episode has bad admiral. You have to wait for six for that one. That's true. And uh, into darkness. Yeah, that's right. Another, another bad admiral. So now let's talk about some things we don't like about this movie. Let's go with Steve first, because you're the non-Trekkie here. Um, so I do like that you. I don't know. I love and hate saying thing that you don't get that much information about the monolith spacecraft, who's in it, what their intentions are, other than they're like, hey, we dropped some whales here. Are they still here? <laughs> and then they it. just leave. They just, just zoom off into space in theory to go torment some other planet where they drop some whales. <laughs> Maybe true. that planet's going to die next. Who knows? Is there anybody on the probe? Like, yeah, the yeah we don't know what it is. So I love and hate that aspect of it. Right. I loved how mysterious it was, but I hate that I never got an answer. It's like Lost. I love it, but I just want to punch myself all the time. Anything else you don't like particularly? What's not to like about this movie? That's the thing. That's true. It's, it, it's, That's very it true. To, I mean, I I could sit here and nitpick and and you know find small flaws, continuity errors, you know, or bad. Um, you know, but it's just it's not bad. That's no, it, I like. There, there's nothing really wrong with it. I will say, and this is not a problem for me, but it may be a problem for audiences who may go back to this film at this point or if you've never seen this film at this point uh the you know the environmental message with the whales can come off a little strong i don't think it's necessarily beat yourself over the head strong but it is a little strong in that 80s sort of way i don't know if it ages the best but for me it's not a problem there was a uh, one plot point that i didn't particularly like and that was when the the bird of prey crashes into the ocean into the san francisco bay right at the end of the film and uh Scotty and, and the female doctor are escaping, and Scotty's like, there's nothing that can be done, Captain. And then Kirk takes his jacket off and then does something that apparently Scotty didn't know about? No, Scotty knew about it, but he said that oh, okay. he, he'd be trapped or something like that. It's under the, the switches okay. underwater. Maybe that was, but I took that as like, ah, I don't know, Captain. And then Shatner's like, well, I know, because I'm the Captain. Oh, I missed that whole thing. Yeah. And ripped his jacket off. That being said, Kirk can hold his breath for a really long time. He can. <laughs> And when that switch didn't go, man, that really built the tension. <laughs> I didn't miss that whole part. I didn't even notice that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also, if we want to be nitpicky, maybe because, again, this is not really a problem for me. But I guess if you're trying to be like objective about it, the beginning of the movie is a little slow. It really doesn't really take off until you get to the past, which is what the meat of the movie is anyway. But the setup is a little slow, but not terrible. It's not motion picture slow. I know. It's always a problem when a movie starts by literally showing scenes from the previous movie. That's true. Yeah. Well, okay. There, 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 there's your nitpick. For, there's where one technical nitpick is like, apparently there's cameras in space that film the exact angle of the destruction <laughs> of the Enterprise from, from, the first, from the third movie. I actually thought about that. Would there be like probe ships that followed them around with cameras or I don't Maybe. know. Doesn't add up. <laughs> doesn't add up well, apparently in the uh like asian release of the film they had a, th a thing with captain kirk explain recapping the previous two movies yeah, before the I've movie started because they they knew uh, that they, had, they didn't really see the first two movies over there so he and it still didn't perform very well but uh i mean he's tried so that was even more exposition and yeah rewatching this i didn't remember it being that long until they got back in time but i was like oh wow there's actually a lot before they get there it's almost half an hour in you know so that was kind of surprising yeah, that's right. I mean, I I found that as well because I've, I've watched it again today myself, 
And yes, it, it does take a long time to get there. Then once they once they get there, it seems to go through very quickly. Oh, once they get, I mean, once they get there, this film takes off like a shot, but it takes a while to yeah. get there. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it, it's it's suddenly before you know where you are, all the scenes that you think that you remember, you know, you, you look back and think, oh, I remember this scene. I remember that scene. Oh, yeah, I can remember this scene. You suddenly realize you've just remembered the whole film. Yeah, that's right. And you, it, it's every scene is so memorable and, and, you know, contains something that you remember, whether it's a, a saying, a phrase, whether it's the actions of Spock neck pinching the guy on the on the bus or whatever yeah. you know double dumbass on you all of those things you suddenly realize it's just one scene after the other and you've remembered every single bit and then you get to the end of the film and it's you know boring boring you know you're forgiven <laughs> carry on type of thing so when you get the new yeah. enterprise it's fun that's true i love that they explained the uptake in speed by the addition of the yellow pages Yes. <laughs> they were like, how did they find all these random places so quickly? Well, up those yellow pages. Mm. Yeah, product placement. Yes. Big product placement, yeah. Can we can we all talk about one thing, though, that's always puzzled me, and I still don't get it to this day? Uh, Chris, you mentioned uh, 2001 a few minutes ago, and uh, that's exactly what I think of when we get the bizarre going back in time whale sequence. It's right out of, lifted out of the Stargate sequence oh, out of yeah. 2001. <laughs> What is that about? That was actually my big note about I hated that scene. That took me out of the movie entirely, did not match the rest of the film. I was like, what the hell is this? That's that's the one scene to me that if I'm going to say something that I don't like, that one does not age well on on rewatch. It makes no sense whatsoever. It, it, you, you couldn't even say, oh, that's what it would be like if you if you did go back in time. You, know, you, you might see, what, Waxworks dummies of <laughs> your own crew? Uh, what's... A bit of rain? Waxwork dummies of your own crew with dialogue that they're going to say later in the film. Oh, um, is that what that was? Yeah, when you you listen closely, it's all lines that they say later in the, throughout the movie. And it's like, I mean, I guess it's artistic, but it, like it, in 2017, it screams of like, this is 1986. Look what we can do with computers now. <laughs> Barely. Yeah. Well, I think both of the time travels even took the cast out of it because- each one of them, when they finally came out of it, it was like them sitting like they just got done being really stoned. Yes. They're like, huh? What just happened in the movie? Especially when they come <laughs> back. I noticed that when they come back to the future. Like one of the come back with just a shot of Sulu like blankly staring. Oh my. Yeah, that's when they come back. That's what I noticed when they come back. I was like, oh, that's a bad choice. The giant white body floating towards Earth. Well, I mean, if I, I mean, if that's what you saw when you when you time travel, obviously you look like you're coming you're coming back from a bad trip. Damn right. Pretty much. <laughs> did did they aim for eighty six, nineteen eighty six? They must have. They like, said they were aiming for the late uh, late twentieth century. century. But why not right. aim based why, off of his best guess? Why not aim for thirteen eighty six? There's there's humpback whales like shoals. You know, and, and smaller chance of being exposed. Uh, much smaller chance of being exposed. I mean, but that again—that's the kind of thing that you think about after you've watched the movie. You don't think about right. it when you're watching the movie, and then you think about it, and because it's such an enjoyable, fun movie, you just go, nah, whatever. Plus, I, I mean, you know, I don't, it doesn't matter. Star Trek in medieval times has rarely ever worked for me. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? That, that there's, I suppose, I suppose if they had gone back to 1486, they'd have no source of plutonium to recharge the fuel cells. Oh, that's thing, true. They, so well, maybe, I, you know, the, the, there's I mean, that. that uh, that's one of the things Spock actually says. He says he has to um, factor in uh, resource availability for fuel. Yeah. I think. Oh, yeah. I think well, he says that in his little speech to McCoy. If there's a line of dialogue that explains it away, then I 
I retract my grumbling. It's definitely Star Trek. I yeah. mean, <laughs> that's very true. I mean, the out of canon reason, obviously, is like if you went back to 13, whatever, this movie was made so that, like, the normies could jump on board with this, and you can't identify with the medieval times. You can identify with present day. And budget, they said that was a big reason, is that they wouldn't have to do costumes and period locations. They could just do film it anywhere. See, they get more production value. W- one thing that I always love about Star Trek, and we've discussed this, I- I've discussed this on many a podcast many a time, I love it when they go outside. I love... I love it when they go outside and it's not set on a studio. There's something yeah. something beautiful about it, no matter whether it's a Voyager episode or, you know, a, a TOS episode or whatever. There's something about location shooting in Star Trek that makes it fresh and new and beautiful and interesting. And this this is a movie that is as much as possible outside in real light with people moving around in the background. Love it too. Yeah, you yeah, can. More fun. Less stifled and it's just out, out. It feels more realistic and more like a movie instead of like on yeah. a TV show. Uh, spe- yeah. Speaking of location, the uh, aquarium, the what is it, cesarean episode, uh, cesarean, cesarean, <laughs> cesarean institute, whatever it is. You got babies in the uh, mind. Is uh, the Monterey Bay Aquarium, which is about an hour and a half south of us, where I am a member. And it oh, is cool! An awesome aquarium. Oh yeah, Steve loves aquariums. I don't know why they always bore me, but he loves. I love aquariums. aquariums. <laughs> uh, but Monterey Bay is a great one, and that's the the. The outside pool where they kept the whales is actually their front viewing deck where you can look out into the bay. Oh, cool. So you've been there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Uh, I did find on Memory Beta, which is a website that takes into account like um, the books as well instead of just things on TV, um, that they did one time have a book called Probe. Yes. And they find the probe again, and it's they figure out that it's damaged possibly by the Borg. And so they, and they, which might explain some kind of the disappearance of who sent the probe in the first place. So even in the book, you don't find out who sent the probe or what its real purpose was, hmm. which is really annoying. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was the same race that reprogrammed Viger. Yeah. Which I, always right. loved, I always loved the Borg theory on that one. Yeah. They tried to incorporate the Viger and it just didn't work or something. But anyways. Speaking of things that do hold up well in this movie... Uh, the special effects and specifically the whales themselves still look good. I watched this on Blu-ray oh, yeah. in high definition, and obviously most of the people know already that you know ninety-nine percent of the time we're not looking at real whales. They did do a couple of shots of real whales in there, but like most of the time, it's it, they're they're robotics animatronics, and they still look pretty good. Oh, yeah, yeah, I would, I would never have known they weren't weren't real. But I think something Paul was saying, which is true, all these little scenes that you remember. Because I kept writing in my nose as watching this, like, oh, I love this scene. Oh, this scene's so funny. Oh, it's such a great moment. It is the most eminently (laughs) quotable of these movies. Computer. (laughs) My favorite part. Although, that's the one thing that, there's one little nitpicky thing about that scene that bothers me. It's like, if you look at what James Doohan actually does with the keyboard, there's no way that he could type in what he typed in (laughs) with what he was doing. Just one finger typing. (laughs) Yeah, there's, it's like there's, old man typing. There's also the thing like he doesn't understand that it's a mouse. He doesn't understand that it's a computer that you can't talk to. Yet he understands the software that's on that computer well enough to come up with that particular molecular structure with just with like uh-huh. <laughs> ding, 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 I'm doing I'm doing visual ding. gags on an audio podcast. That's that's really good, Chris. Well done. Well, then I, I like also that he types it in and all things come up, and then the computer says clear aluminum. Yeah, like the computer would know. Yeah, it knows <laughs> what this knows. new thing was that they didn't know what it was. Yeah. So I will say that the, the soundtrack was very good. I think in all these movies, it's, it's very good, good. But like 
I, I don't know what it, why it is, but like when I hear that opening theme over the credits, it's very it sounds very much like a Christmas song that you would hear in the mall somewhere. It's Christmas music. It is Christmas music. It's the bells. It's the they're they're the bells that are playing. It reminds me of Christmas music. Oh, there were bells. I don't remember. That. Yeah, no, the, the, there's lots of bells playing. There's bells and hand chimes and all that Christmassy stuff. Yep. It is very, very Christmassy music. It, it it works. It fits well enough. But I, I, there's something about it that just makes me think of Christmas. Now there is that one awesome part of this of the score though when they first get to San Francisco and it's like it's ripped out of a Beverly Hills Cop movie where they're w- walking across the street. Oh yeah. Just in case the audience wasn't paying attention, we're now in the 80s. (laughs) The music cue to make sure that you know that we're in the 80s now. Well, the worst part is you look at it and their clothes made sense again. Yeah, Yeah. kind of. You look at their outfits, you're like, all right, well, they don't have to really change clothes. They already look ridiculous. Yeah, well, Sulu's fine. A Chekhov's (laughs) fine. You know, it just so so happened that at that point in the 23rd century, the Jerry Curl was back, so Uhura was fine. right. (laughs) Let your soul glow. That was was some of my comments, I think, about the the third one, was that they were all dressed like disco pirates. The whole thing, they're all dressed as disco pirates. And now it makes sense, because it's the 80s. (laughs) disco pirates <laughs> well i just like you know i just love the the future of these shows where like they have to they can't update the style too much but they try to but just like you know the first movie uhura's rocking the afro because it's 1979 oh yeah in the third and fourth movie she's rocking the jerry curl because it's 1984 1986 like i feel like we're getting a little bit better in modern movies and making kind of generic hairstyles that could take place in the future but we're gonna look back in 30 years and see if that's actually the case and see like oh that's a very 2016 haircut right there i'm like i don't know if that's the case <laughs> but who knows <laughs> we can't really see it right now and then i would like to talk about the uh the 1980s punk on the bus yeah uh, because he is also a muppet connection Ooh. uh kirk r thatcher who was actually an associate producer on the film and then ended up doing that role as the punk uh, has directed a lot of the more recent Jim Henson stuff, huh. uh, including Sid the Science Kid and uh, a lot of the Muppet shorts that came out, Muppet Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, he did that? That's yep. cool. As well as some episodes of Muppets Tonight. Uh, he was the writer of Muppet Treasure Island screenplay, and uh. Uh, my favorite episode of Dinosaurs <laughs> was him. Dinosaurs? Yeah. Well, there's a show I haven't thought about in 20 years. Oh, well, think about it. We did a whole episode on it. Check <laughs> yeah, it Yeah, you can watch it. Listen to it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Kirk R. Thatcher, and then he plays that punk. But he's gone on to do a ton of stuff with the Muppets. Didn't uh, dinosaurs well, end with the uh, apocalyptic? Everything blowing up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, they, yeah, they end up killing off the species of bug, and then this type of vine is allowed to go wild, and they spray this poison to kill the vine, and then they end up killing everything. And that's how they became extinct. And it ends with them huddled in, like, ba- essentially a nuclear winter, for lack of a better term. Uh, basically saying, yeah, but we'll be okay, because we got each other. And there's a sad oh, count out with sad music. God, talk yeah. about a depressing way to end. That's terrible. <laughs> I think it's the only fitting way that show could have ended. I'm the baby. I'm going to die. <laughs> well, speaking of the 80s, like, should we talk briefly about how the fact that... Uh, this whale biologist was originally written to be Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy as a physicist yes. or something. <laughs> hey, get the cook. Hey, <laughs> I see Paul's shocked face. Oh god, that would have been a that would have been a totally different movie. <laughs> oh. This is around the time of Beverly Hills Cop and Forty Eight Hours, and all those films were made by Paramount. 
So Paramount wanted to like do some cross promotion. Says Murphy's supposed to play a professor concerned with UFOs who spots the decloaking Klingon warship at the Super Bowl. Apparently, all others are convinced the ship is a halftime special effect, while Murphy believes it is real. Paramount declined this script for two reasons. They did not want to combine their two most profitable franchises, Star Trek and Beverly Hills Cop, and Murphy had signed on to, the, to do the Golden Child instead. <laughs> well, thank God for that. That would have been a weird movie. Like, too comedic. Too far down that line. I don't know. Part of me wants to see that alternate universe movie oh, just to see what it's like. I'd watch it. Yeah, I'd absolutely watch it. <laughs> I think he would have had – Eddie Murphy would have taken the role of the comedian and, and run with it. And he would have been the funny part of the of the uh, film. Right. Whereas, as it is now, everybody gets to do something funny or have a funny line or do something. So I think it works better without him, to be honest. And, and that being said, Eddie Murphy, especially the Eddie Murphy of, it, of the 80s – Always worked best when it was an R-rated comedy, and you're never going to get that out of Star Trek. That's true. So. Oh yeah, yeah, that's also true. Uh, so, oh, one of my criticisms of the film was actually explained later by some trivia that I read. Uh, so, at one point, there's a transmission that comes back to Starfleet from a ship that's been disabled, and it was this Indian actor who was just not looking in the camera, <laughs> and the spacing of his lines was really weird and terrible. And I remember just thinking, man, that was really bad. What the hell was with that? It has been three hours since our contact with the alien probe. All attempts at regaining power have failed. Our chief engineer is trying to deploy a makeshift solar sail. We have high hopes that this will, if successful, generate power to keep us alive. Must have been somebody's nephew. <laughs> and then reading that his name was uh, Vijay Am- Amritaj. Uh, who was a tennis player? Uh, yeah, an ex-pro tennis uh-huh. player who tried to make a transition to acting for a while, and I was like, "Oh, that explains why that was just so bad." Okay, <laughs> I am in a movie. I'm saying lines. I'm looking. I'm not looking at the camera. <laughs> but then, up to that point, I was like, "Man, who cast that guy?" No, but like you're right. The way the lines were like, we have high hopes that if this is successful, we'll generate enough power to keep us alive. Seem very and concerned. I will not look at the camera, no matter what. <laughs> Fifteen, love. <laughs> you should have stuck with tennis. But I was, I was almost relieved to read that there was a reason it was so bad. And apparently, uh, the weird casting stuff. Uh, Susan Sarandon was considered for the role of Dr. Jillian Taylor. That would have been I interesting. I would have liked that more. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of this lady who is in there now. What's her name? You don't like Hicks? the mom from? You don't like the mom from Seventh Heaven? <laughs> I like how they have the dad from Seventh Heaven in the first movie and the mom from Seventh Heaven in this movie. <laughs> it's like they're just casting the whole Seventh Heaven. I mean, she the got the, if we're looking at the quality, she got the better end of the deal. That's true, and she also ended up being a pedophile, so that's always that's great. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about we that, that a few what? times on the show. <laughs> the star of uh, Motion Picture, what's his name? Stephen Collins. Uh, Stephen Collins later was found out to have like um, He's a convicted a young sex girl. offender, I think, now? Yeah. So, now, yeah. Now he is, yeah, so... He's not getting Seven any roles anymore. Heaven. <laughs> it's like a like, Christian family show. It really was. My parents insisted that we watch it together as a family, and now it seems so fucked up. <laughs> yeah, let's not forget that's a, that's the show that uh, what's her Jessica Biel did until she did like yeah. some, some some racy photo shoot in which she had to get oh, yeah. kicked off and sent right. to college on that one because so we she couldn't got have too that. Skanky. 
<laughs> then she cut her face all up. Not good. And I still another think she looks good. Another oh, cool bin thing. The nose. So one early draft script was titled The Trial of James T. Kirk. Apparently more of it was going to be about being on trial instead of anything fun with time travel. And it was going to have Harry Mudd in it, uh, Roderick C. Carmel. But apparently he uh, was in bad health and died during the filming of the actual film. So it wouldn't have Well, worked. that's a bummer. But he was a big character from the original series. He's like in two episodes, which is crazy for them. They never have any carryover from episode to episode, barely ever. So that would have been cool to have Harry Mudd in an episode like 20 years later. Yeah, but but wasn't it the point like he was going to be like a character witness at his trial? And I'm like, who's going to listen to the convicted smuggler felon as, the, as a character witness? The, the convicted sex trafficker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pretty much sex robots. But now he's going to be in the new show played by the guy from The Office, Rain uh, Wilson. Dwight Schrute. Rain Wilson's playing him. Which I'm, look- I'm looking show. forward to seeing that, actually. That'd be great. So can we talk about the one thing that they took a little too lightheartedly, and that's like messing with the timeline and time paradoxes in this movie? Kirk does it. Yeah. That they like just threw that, out the window. Kirk, it doesn't matter Kirk anymore. Does that, that, that's Kirk's MO. Yeah, Kirk does that. He, he does that at least once every eight episodes in the original series. Yeah. <laughs> and he'll do it again. Like the the fact know? that like Scotty gave away some advanced technology how many years early in yeah theory? but I, I love that that side scene where like you know how we know he just didn't invent the thing yeah <laughs> true, that's, true. <laughs> that's still messed up i know it's <laughs> messed up but like i i go with it because it's so absurd and the movie is so the tone is so perfect at that point that it doesn't matter to me but chris is right like if you watch the original series kirk messes with the timeline all the time unapologetically and they don't they Check don't start- in theory, loses all his tech as well. I mean, they don't start getting oh, an- yeah. they don't start getting anal about the timeline until Picard steps in. Oh, uh, speaking of that, Christina Hicks, I'd say my notes here. She did have the sexiest line in the whole movie, uh-huh. which uh, I don't find her attractive at all. For some, I think I she's think like, she's looks, looks like a, but she looks like the mom from Seven Head. I think of her as a mom well, for some reason. Well, yeah, I mean, she's always been perpetually cast that way. Like I want her to pack my lunches. Yeah, I want her to pack my life. But she's not she's not ugly, is what I'm trying to say. No, she's not ugly. But at the end, end of the movie, she leans over to him and she's like, see you around the galaxy. galaxy. And then she's like walks off. I'm like, that's pretty hot. I like that. Yeah, I love her, her how confident she is for a woman who just found herself in a different century with no idea how anything works, but she's like, you know what? I'll find you that's once I figure thing. out how to use the teleporter. Thing. No, well, that's the thing, is like I don't I didn't take that as necessarily sexy. I took that like as a polite breakup. Like, don't call me, I'll call you. In about 20 years. You're not my mm. type no matter what century we're in, Kirk. <laughs> he was so smarmy throughout this whole movie, too. Like, he immediately thinks that he should be the sexiest thing in the world, like the way he talks to her. No, but, like, if you think about it, like, for the fir- like this is the first time in the four movies that he's ever gotten close to getting laid. That's true. Is that true? That, that's yeah. True. Maybe. Yeah. And I guess he was already, he already had sex with uh, Carol Marcus, and they were divorced. Carol Marcus. Right. Yeah, true. You never get laid in the movies. So here's the here's the worst joke of all. Are you ready? Uh-huh. No. Yeah, ready, ready, ready for this. She should have just leaned into him, whispered in his ear, "Whale meat again." Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what you're here for, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> See, I I don't I don't think that Scotty actually speaks a line of dialogue that isn't a pun. That's Speaking true. of jokes, I don't. I don't think he actually says anything that isn't supposed to be like, "Oh, oh, oh that's funny." Well, he did say, "There be whales there here." Be, there be whales here. Yes, I, I've I've traveled millions of miles, miles thousands, thousands of miles. You know, there's not a line that he says that isn't a, a pun. 
of some kind. You even guys having fun. You know, even even I, when like repairs are easy, it's reading Klingon that's difficult. It's like you don't need to just every single line is a gag. Every line. It's like they made Scotty the sassy black friend. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, actually, you know what though? Like I, I, as much as I love everyone in this movie and everybody's funny, my still my MVP always will be the original series is McCoy. I love McCoy in this movie yeah. and all the movies. Like DeForest Kelly has great comedic timing because he's so dry. His smarmy lines. He does, and and and, and I love the scenes between him and, and Scotty. I, I thought they were brilliant because the timing was there. That it was it was perfect. You know, the, like you say that the gentleman just said that scene. Then it was perfect timing, and and it made me think: how many times have we really seen those two together in the original series? They, That's true. I don't think they spend a lot of time together, and maybe it should have been. You know, that that could have been quite a good. Um, Comedy pairing, or even you know, a, a dramatic pairing, and I do love McCoy in, the, in this um, in this film, as Matt says, because he because he shows that um, caring part of his personality to Spock, you know, helping yeah. him along, even though they're supposed to be you know sort of enemies but sort of friends at the same time. There's a respect there, but you know they're always having to go at each other. But in this one, he doesn't have a go at him so much, and he he is very much sort of helping him rehabilitate himself and all that. So I, th- I think it's an, a, a great uh, McCoy film, really. Yeah, and you know, Steve said that Scotty's the sassy black friend and McCoy's like That's the right. McCoy's like the Sophia from the Golden Girls in this movie where he's just the old curmudgeon <laughs> that will say whatever he wants and no matter That's who right. gets offended. Well, I think having his Spock soul inside of him made him more sympathetic towards Spock and you can definitely see that reflected mm-hmm. in how he treats him. That's true though. Oh, I had to say though that uh, the Klingon line I really liked that he says it's hard re- reading Klingon because didn't he help create the Klingon language for Star Trek? James Doohan? Uh, yeah, he, yeah, he did. He did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he, he, so that's he kind spoke, of a funny nod line. He spoke gobbledygook into a microphone, and then somebody turned up and actually turned it into a language for oh, afterwards. Okay. Yeah, clock, clock, yeah, he did. Clock. That's yeah, basically he, it. He, he did that. He did all. The, he did all the dialogue from the motion picture, and and, uh, then, okay. and then someone took that dialogue and stepped in for Christopher Lloyd for three. Uh, that, I, I could watch an entire movie of McCoy in a twentieth century hospital. Yes, no, because it's, it's amazing. And like doctor gave me a pill and grew me a new kidney. It's one of it. it it's one of my favorite lines ever like, in, in the goddamn Trek. Spanish Inquisition. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's just it was just dark so, ages. so hilarious, especially like they're talking about cutting edge technology for us. You know, whether when they're in the the uh, elevator going up and they're talking about you know radiotherapy and all that sort of stuff, and he's just like, nah. unbelievable. You have a different view, doctor. Sounds like a goddamn Spanish Inquisition to me. Bad day. Bearskins and knives and scalpels and <laughs> drilling in, yeah, drilling into I people's know. heads and stuff like that. It's, it's awesome. Also, too, like this woman has severe upper abdominal distension. What did you say she's got? Cramps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic. It's like slightly sexist, but okay. <laughs> Just like Captain Kirk. Just like most of Sli- the slightly Star Trek. sexist, but okay. <laughs> Well, any uh, parting thoughts here about Star Trek Four? What should we leave the audience with? Should they see this movie? Yeah, I would say that. <laughs> I mean, especially for like if you're just a casual fan, like I think this and and maybe right. 2009 are the most accessible to the to the new fans. Like this one, a little less so, only because it's coming after two other films, whereas 2009 is a clean reboot. But uh, I don't think you're going to be too too lost if you jump in with this one. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna watch this originally, but uh, show it to my kids who have not seen this film, and I know that 
they know enough about Star Trek that they would know who the characters are, you know, from, from vaguely watching a couple of episodes that I've seen. Um, so I would have um, no worries about them picking up the plot and the characters and, and yeah. you know, straight away would know you know, what the universe is and who is. They would struggle more with the 1980s references yeah, because they're true. obviously not that old. But, um, but yeah, it would, it, they would, they would get a lot of those, uh, a lot of those jokes and references. So yeah, it's no problem. Yeah, they have a hard time connecting to what a payphone is. <laughs> yeah. Payphones are not too bad. They're just old enough to remember, you know, having a phone with a long lead on it rather there than... There you go. Yeah. So yeah, they, they, they know that bit. They, and my, my eldest son has just done his, uh, his exams based on uh, the Cold War period. So he would know about Russians and Americans. Okay. Oh, there you so, go. So he, he would get most of that. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a good, uh, it's a good film to start off with. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was a mention of when Kirk's talking to, uh, the Hicks chick. I keep forgetting her character. Jillian name. Taylor. Thank you, Jillian Taylor. Uh, about the literature of the time in the 1980s, and she rattled off like a few names. Like, who the hell is she talking about? I had no idea. So that would get lost in some people. That's just because uh, you're uncultured German, right? It's true. Who who would know who George and Gracie are? Because I didn't yeah, until I until I yeah, everyone knows. But it's like uh, even someone. Of, of my age and I was alive when this movie was released I haven't got a clue who George and Gracie are unless I go and look it up so there's references uh, there's references even kids yeah. from the 80s have no idea what they are yeah George Burns and, and Gracie, 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 Gracie Allen. Allen yeah but I mean I had to look that up because I had not a clue not I'm sadly a clue. old enough to know who they were talking about so <laughs> even even for a, a you know a, a UK resident no, I knew who they were too, but like I, I'm one of those weird kids that used to love watching black and white films. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. same here. <laughs> and you didn't have any choice, Paul. <laughs> I know, I know. We didn't get a color television until 1972. Well, I had to wait for seven I'm years. I'm surprised. <laughs> I'm surprised that you don't have fond memories of the the man at the front playing the piano along with the uh, with the movie as it's playing. <laughs> <laughs> going, yeah, going into the Saturday matinee. Yes. <laughs> what was it, what was it like when you saw your first train? <laughs> they Was didn't it like have a them in my day no <laughs> they didn't have them in my day oh when the talkies came out he just it was a whole new world for him <laughs> yeah my, my, my dad used to be one of the people who um who waved the red flag in front of the car when the when the car used to drive along the road he stand in front waving the red flag <laughs> uh one of the thing i saw on that dvd special features that they had was uh an interview with um Chekhov, I'm not for well, Walter, Walter Koenig. Koenig, Koenig, and uh, he was talking at his house, and behind him are t- hundreds of miniatures from Star Trek and like ships and stuff and posters. And he was talking about how he loved this movie the most because he had the most screen time. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, and that never happened again. It never happened again. Well, this it's is very sad. <laughs> I mean, if you think Chekhov in the movies this is where all of his signature stuff comes from—nuclear vessels and all that stuff. Yeah, true. You know, I used to think that, like, the Cold War aspect of this dated this movie, but given current political climates now, the Russians being the bad guys, that that works again now. That's true. <laughs> it's very current. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. It has been excellent having three very knowledgeable guests with us to talk about Star Trek to make up for my deficit of knowledge. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, and, and Godspeed to you, Steve, with Star Trek V. But just, but yeah, just know, we're going to make it through. But ju- just know that six is right after that, and that's awesome. Okay, so five, we just got to make it through. Yeah. Well, maybe we can bring some of you guys back for Insurrection in, a, in several episodes from now. <laughs> that's right. Well, please please bring me and Chris back from Insurrection, because like, there might be a different tone on that movie there, there from would, us. <laughs> yeah, there, there might be uh, slightly less um, letting it get away with things for interaction 
That's true. And as we ask all of our guests, is there anything any of you gentlemen would like to plug in your upcoming podcast or other ventures? And Twitter names, that kind of thing. Anything? Go for it. So uh, I still co-host the Upper Pylon 2 podcast, which comes out every Thursday on the TrekMink Network. We're right in the middle of Deep Space Nine Season 5. The show's getting really good. I'm excited. Uh, and you can find me personally on Twitter at mhansen0207, H-A-N-S-E-N. And in just about a month, I will be, for anyone who's coming, at Star Trek Las Vegas. So. Ooh, awesome. Mr. Paul. Uh, I think uh, I'm best described as between podcasts. Um, <laughs> Tim Ford's on this uh, so-called hiatus. Uh, it's more like a hiatus hernia, but uh, yeah, it's um, a bit of a strange one. I am podcastless <laughs> at the moment, but I have appeared on a few in the last month or so. So, uh, including this uh, one, including this one. <laughs> yes, uh, this is. I'm, in fact, I'm returning for this one. I, I That's was, right. Uh, yeah, it's our sky in the galaxy. Previously. Great episode. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, so I'm between podcasts. But if anybody wants to see, uh, to get in touch with me, I am on Twitter at furbob one. That's right, awesome. and you can check out old episodes of his Sci-Fi Waffle podcast. And he also no, appears. You, no, you can't a, because they've gone now. It's not on iTunes anymore. <laughs> it's not on iTunes, but it will be on uh, the. It's, it's on the Trekmate w- uh, website, but uh, it has disappeared because uh, I have let things run out. Oh, that's so too they bad. They have disappeared off the Podbean feed. Well, you all missed it. I heard every episode. You guys missed it. Um, ah. But he also appears on the Rusted Robot podcast as a UK correspondent. It's very well-produced segments about the news and, and science and technology and stuff. It's great stuff. I like it a lot. And Mr. Chris, what about you? Well, I am also between podcasts, between two beautiful podcasts that snuggle, snuggle up to me at night. I, I've missed Chris. Like, this is the first time I've actually talked to Chris in almost a year, and it's yeah. been sad. Jeez. It is sad. So if any podcast wants a Chris, then just get in touch with me at Chris Can't Fly on the Twitters. Or if you know me well enough, just send me a message on the emails or something like that. I'm not giving out my email address. I don't want weirdos. No, I don't do that. Me. <laughs> it's okay. No one's listening. Yeah. Oh, okay. You were, you were on 10 Ford and the Batman podcast, I believe. I, I haven't done a bat talk in about three years. years. Get, your, get your facts straight. <laughs> I haven't. I, I haven't. You out we, we haven't. We haven't done a ten forward in nine months, and I haven't done a bat talk in three years. If and if and when the Matt Reeves movie ever comes out, you could do another bat talk. Then that's right. There I, you go. I, I yeah. I, there was. Uh, I got emails off people saying, "Are you going to do a bat talk for Adam West dying?" And I'm like, "If I'm going to do a bat talk, it's not going to be because Adam West died. That's just morbid." That's rest, right. rest in <laughs> peace, Mister West. All right, gentlemen. Well, well, thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. F*** you. Have a good one. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Nice civil end to that segment. All right. Thanks again, guys. We really appreciate your participation in this episode. And uh, thanks again to Paul for coming back a second time as a guest. That's right. And what would have been here, but you're not going to get it. We're not giving it to you. Trailer views. Forget it. Jumanji. There was also a game. There was also a game. Yeah. You guys don't get it. You don't get it. But we'll get real get quick. It. Jumanji, we both said take a look. Blade Runner 2049, both said take a look. Take a look. So take a look. <laughs> That's <laughs> all you need to know. That's how we should do trailer reviews every week. <laughs> you don't have to believe us, but believe us. Believe take us. a look. We talked about it without you, and you should take a look. <laughs> so, But we did want to tag on Radical Recommends. Yes. If you have the means, I highly recommend picking one up. What do you recommend I do? I recommend Pleasant. 
So uh, my radical recommend this week is a Netflix original just got recommended to me and it's called Oh Hello on Broadway. And it's about these two old New York guys who represent every old New York guy stereotype you can imagine. Um, and it's a, a play within a play about these guys finding out that they're, that they finally made it. They finally got their big break. Um, and it, it's really more of a performance piece and a stand-up comedy piece than anything, but I, it's tough to explain, but I highly recommend it. As you know, if you're Steve a theater his, person, you yeah. will extra love this because Steve loves his theater movies, just like our Miranda Miranda episode. Melinda, Melinda, Miranda. Damn it, Jarman. Melinda, <laughs> Melinda. I, I really forgot again. That's, yeah, that's dick. authentic for the second uh, recording. Melinda, Melinda. But yeah, so if you like like a show within a show, and if you like any sort of theater thing, it's a, it's really funny. I really really recommend checking out. Oh, hello on Broadway, Netflix original. Absolutely, and my radical recommend for this week is electric screwdrivers because I put up a bunch of shelves. Uh, I'm still moving into my house. It's crazy. And so I put up a bunch of shelves for the first time in my life, learning these manly things and doing it wrong, of course. And uh, I had only had a handheld screwdriver and I was doing it by hand. I had a giant bruise on the like the ball of my hand, whatever you want to call that. And my wrist was killing me. My hand wanted to fall off. And my girlfriend's dad said, why don't you use an electric screwdriver? And I was like, oh, yeah, that would have been great. So make sure you yeah, have you those. Dummy. <laughs> make sure you have those if you're renovating or moving in somewhere, adding it. Just it'll save you a ton of pain and heartache and probably half the time to do the project. Yeah. Yeah. Let your screwdrivers check them out. We had to thank some people real quick uh, in response mm-hmm. to our Top Gun episode. Daniel Hitch on Twitter first said, yay, copycat cinema, which is great because people like that segment. The people love it. They love it. And he also said, come on, it has to be Top Gun for one reason not mentioned. Hot shots. Only the best get parody. Parody. true. I can't say that word. The highest form of flattery. Exactly. And there's no parody for Iron Eagle, really. Uh, and Mike or at Jerick on Twitter said after retweeting our episode announcement, which he always does, which is great. Uh, he said, Iron Eagle or Top Gun while watching JAG and they knew whose air combat footage to liberate. And by that comment, I think he means he was watching JAG, the TV show from 10 years ago, and they used footage from one of these movies. But he didn't say which one. So, Mike, tell us which movie you're talking about. And if that's what you mean by that, you're watching the TV show JAG. And please just let us know why still JAG. It's been like two decades. <laughs> it, was, it was There, there are other show. shows now, man. There are other shows. <laughs> but hey, man, you watch what you want to watch. <laughs> no, don't. There are new stuff. Check out new stuff. All right. And that's pretty much our very truncated episode. Well, not really, because you've listened to a whole hour of us. Uh, yeah, interview. there was still more. Let's not, let's not pretend we cut them short. I'm glad we didn't lose the interview. That's the important That's right. That's part. the important part. Uh, but thanks again for joining us. Uh, thanks to our guests for coming and talking with us. We'll keep providing you with great nerdy content. We're back on a regular schedule. So... Thanks again, Internet. Stay nerdy, my friends. 
If you'd like to find out more about us, you can always check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash aplayonnerds. Or check us out on Twitter and Instagram at aplayonnerds. We're also streaming live game content all the time on twitch.tv slash aplayonnerds. Fun videos and stuff to check out, youtube.com slash playonnerds. And also please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review if possible because that lets us be easily searched in the iTunes search index for podcasts and that way we know if we stink exactly let us know if you hate us or you love us that's always great check us out at our website www.aplayonnerds.com where all this content can be found at the tip of your fingers and you can also always email us at anything at aplayonnerds.com and then check us out on i guess snapchat maybe <laughs> for dick or, or tumblr <laughs> tumblrs periscopes uh, you could also throw a rock at us with a message on it carrier pigeons we accept cassette tapes <laughs> i love cassette tapes we just want to hear from you yes please send us anything you like at any social media outlets however you do it check us out and how I love Steve's picture is frozen on my screen. It's just him leaning backwards and like yeah. he, he looks uh, like he's like, just time traveled. Oh, I can see yeah. it now. Looks like he just time traveled. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh man, it's me a new thing now. A double, like just time travel, buddy. A double dumbass on you. Double dumbass on you. They don't start getting anal about the timeline until Picard steps in. That's right. He's anal about everything. Including his sex. Mm. Um, anyway, so, so family show, family show. Wait, when uh, we, since when? Hold on, we've never been a family show. No. And speaking of, of uh, you know retired podcasts at the moment, we neglected to mention that uh, this episode featured a nice reunion between Team Boring and Team Awesome. It did indeed. Yes, it, did. <laughs> it did indeed. But the rivalry wasn't there, so I think no. that, that the next time we all agree. <laughs> next time we next time we all get together on a show, it, it needs to be something a bit more uh, vitriolic. It, well, there wouldn't be any. I mean, I think we'd all agree. Yeah, I, I don't think that. I think that Jarman would be. Thought, would be no, Jarman think, would be like, oh yeah, it's okay. I thought there's nothing really wrong with it. No, you're right. That's exactly Paul, how that fucker and, sounds. And then <laughs> everyone else would be like, no, it's Paul, Paul. I thought I thought you would have liked that movie. <laughs> I have. I thought I had some good little, points. <laughs> I have very little memory of that film at all. Oh, <laughs> very well, little. we should I, have you back for that one then and make you watch it again. Your brain oh. does have a way of blocking out trauma. It's true. <laughs> Gates, true. I will say Gates McFadden is not in it that much. He's not in any of the movies that much, so you'll be fine. Yeah. No true. pancake butter wouldn't face. Yeah. 